Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Chuck Blakeman with me. Chuck's company, Crankset Group, works with business founders and leaders around the world to help them make more money in less time and get back the passion that brought them into business in the first place. Chuck bootstrapped nine different businesses in seven industries and four continents, one of them in Africa. He made every mistake possible in the book. Chuck is the founder of the 3 to 5 Club. We'll talk more about what it is and how it helps entrepreneurs. He's the author of multiple books such as Making Money is Killing Your Business, and why employees are always a bad idea. Chuck is an internationally acclaimed business speaker, averaging more than 100 speaking engagements and workshops per year. He has been quoted and featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, CNN.com, NewYorkTimes.com, and now on Success Harbor. I'm very excited to have Chuck on Success Harbor today. Welcome. Thank you for being here, Chuck. It's great to be with you, George. Well, you're the uh, founder of the 3 to 5 Club. What is the 3 to 5 Club, if you could uh, give us a quick summary of it? Yeah, 3 to 5 Club is uh, a a peer advisory group for small business owners, usually with 1 to 19 uh, employees and sometimes with none, but they want them. So very early stage or in some cases, uh, older ones that just don't want to grow up and be giant businesses. And it's a place they, they meet twice a month, uh, in, they get into business community together. We get 24, up to 24 business owners per group. They meet twice a month. We have a curriculum that we go through. It's actually 14 modules over 14 months. And we things that we feel like are absolutely fundamental and critical to building a successful business and uh, there's two big things they get out of people get out of three to five club that are in the the book as well, and that is that uh, number one they figure out how to build a business that gets them off the treadmill instead of on. Most of the time when we build a business, all we end up with is a faster treadmill for ourselves. And and the 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 way we do that is through the curriculum, but more importantly through the community. <coughs> Excuse me, three to five club. We we tell people this all the time. Three to five club is a is a place where you can say three magic words. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. where do you go to say that kind of stuff? If you say it to your, your stakeholders, we call them stakeholders, employees, uh, then uh, you uh, you end up uh, you know, losing people. If you say it to your customers, they, they get worried. If you say it to your vendors, they do longer terms. If you say it to your spouse, now there's two of you not sleeping. So you need somewhere where you can admit that you don't know what you're doing. And and it's kind of a lonely place uh, to be an entrepreneur a lot of times. And you're supposed to know the, all the answers, but only really arrogant people know all the answers. No, but so. most of us think we're supposed to. So, yeah, you, you have these really weird, fake conversations. Hey, how's business? Oh, business is great. I'm dying inside, but I can't tell you that. <laughs> business is great. and I'm waking up in cold sweats in the middle of the night. No, everything's fine. Uh, I, can, yeah. I can give you stories of people who have been in these three to five club experiences where they were they thought they were going out of business in two days and they're in thriving businesses now because they were willing to open up and say I'm in trouble and when they opened up people were immediately able to help them figure out they weren't in as much trouble as they thought or they got them out of it so I just wrote a blog on that today coincidentally uh, where my ink my ink magazine column was about being the rugged individualist and how that idea really should just go away. It's a bad idea and it should have died a long time ago. And we need, um, we need to figure that out. 
So I'm glad you brought up the uh, the curriculum part of it because I've been a member uh, 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 an organization like like yours and that organization they they're gonna remain nameless. But my my problem was it there was no curriculum. So a lot of the entrepreneurs would kind of show up and just shoot from the hip, so right. to speak. And uh, and it was kind of a nice community, you know, like socially it was good. And I think there was some value there as well. Yep. But uh, but people didn't really have a homework, you know, like, OK, next month or two weeks from now, we're going to do this and I'm going to need to come here prepared. And and so that was a big, big drawback. So give me a couple of ideas. What are what are maybe uh, one or two uh, of the of the of the monthly or the biweekly or whatever so, ideas that that come up? All right. So we the, the way it's structured is the first it, it, they all meet twice a month. The first meeting is an instructional meeting. The facilitator lays out the topic and shares what they need to do and, and uh, gives them the why and then the how and the what and and uh, the end result of that meeting is that they walk away with an assignment. And then the second meeting is for them to get together and the the, uh, the same 24 people get together and the facilitator does a five-minute intro to warm them back up on the topic. But then the rest of that second meeting is them sharing what they've done with this topic. So, for instance, we don't believe in business plans. We think those are absolute voodoo. Uh, you, can't, you can't tell three years from now where you're going to be. But we, we're very... Uh, committed to, to strategic planning, which is something you can do for three, six, and, and on the outside, 12 months. And that's about as far as you can get. We have a two-page strategic plan that we teach people to use. Mm-hmm. And we actually split that. That's two of the 14 modules. We get page one, and we'll share how to how to uh, build page one, your vision, your mission, your strategies, uh, those kinds of things on page one and, and what those are, how to make, how to build them. And then uh, two weeks later, people come back and they share their vision, their their missions, and their top three or four strategies for the year. And then a couple of months or six months later, we'll do page two or in the next month, depending on how it works out, we'll do page two. And page mm-hmm. two is where you actually put the rubber on the road and say, what am I going to do in the next 12 months? And then what am I going to do in the next three months to get that done? And then in the next month to get that done? And And they come back with page two filled out and they share that. And people share how they're struggling with filling it out. Hey, I, I got a block on this idea. I just don't know what's strategic for me this year. And so the group, it's amazing how quickly a group of 20-plus business owners who, who don't know much about each other's businesses can ask really good questions and get people focused on the right things and, and get them through their, their issues. So that's a big part of what we do is, is uh, work through those. We have freedom mapping we do for each business owner to help them figure out what is the highest and best use of their time. And they come away with an assignment on that. Uh, we have big, mm-hmm. big why stuff. Uh, we have a module on getting things done and, and figuring out what your priorities are. Uh, and there's 14 of those. Yeah. So, you know, let's, I want to talk a little bit about your business background. I have read uh, in your bio that you have started eight different businesses. What were some of those businesses? Yeah, we're actually to nine now. We probably should just keep that online because <laughs> I keep adding to it. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur and uh, uh, I've been all, I've done stuff all across the board. So it'll give you an idea of how I, how I view the world. I, I, uh, I think the first business I did was a leadership development business in my early 20s, which I had no business doing. But I didn't, I didn't kill anybody. I didn't ruin anybody permanently with that. Mm-hmm. And then I did an architectural uh, d- uh, uh, landscaping business that I didn't know anything about. 
And then I went into, uh, let's see, I think I went into website development after that, design and development. Didn't know anything about that. We ended up doing uh, websites for Microsoft and a few others. And, uh, What year was that, approximately? Uh, that was 1992 that I started, 93 when I started doing that one. Nobody even knew what the web was. It was a bad idea. It was way too early. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, we, we made it work. And then I've, I've done a, a fulfillment uh, and logistics Uh, uh, business. We had a, a call center with 300 people in it. We had a direct mail operation that was one of the biggest in the West. And we had a uh, uh, a printing environment that we it was it was that was never my primary business, but we had that as a as a primary secondary in one of my businesses. We built a, a printing business. Uh, so why 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 did you start so many businesses? Was it uh, was it going from one failure to the other, or was it going from one success to the other, or was it just there was just too many possibilities? And yeah, and people do things for all for all kinds of reasons. It wasn't because they failed, and it wasn't because uh, of other. It really it was uh, going from one interest to another. Mm -hmm. I am a true serial entrepreneur, and when things get to where they're running and running really well, I get bored. And I start wrecking it. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I'm a, I'm a so how do you wreck it? Uh, give, me, give me a couple of examples. Well, I, how do you wreck it? I get impatient. I try to manage it. I'm not a manager. Uh, and mm -hmm. I'm not a repetitive guy. So to, to take something and refine it is not my role. I can build it. I, I can put it. When we did our logistics center, I built a 150,000 square foot warehouse, put in all the all the the uh, assembly lines and the and the conveyor belts and hired the people and put the processes in place and just had a lot of fun creating all that and that took a couple of years to figure all that out and really get it fine-tuned but by the third year I was bored to tears because it was running mm -hmm. and so I, I started getting impatient and I started not paying attention and uh, and I it just sort of starts to decay on me because I'm not a manager and most most entrepreneurs never figure that out they never figure out that that they need to get out of the way so that the 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 uh, people who we call, I call them systems people, can come in and take what you built and make it really good. And that's why mm -hmm. it took me three or four businesses to learn that. But in the context, I've, I've never had a failed business. I have one that's on the verge of that. In the, uh, I have a business in the Democratic Republic of the Congo that is... Yeah, I saw that uh, on your website. What is that business? Because uh, uh, not everybody has a business in but, Africa. No, so. and most people don't even know where the DR Congo is. Uh, <laughs> but it's actually half the size of the United States with about 60 million people in it. It's the poorest country on earth. Bottom of the barrel. There are some that are probably poorer, but they're so poor they don't even report. This is the poorest reporting country, so like 178 out of 178 or something crazy like that. Mm -hmm. And we, we built this business because we want to solve poverty. And so uh, my research, and I spent 10 years uh, working alongside nonprofits in Africa and other places and learned that nonprofits are, are tremendous at some things, but one of the things that they're absolutely horrendous at is solving poverty. They make it worse. Everywhere mm -hmm. they go, they mm -hmm. make it worse. And so this is a for-profit business put together for the express purpose of solving poverty through ugly, evil, horrible capitalism. Without the so, so what is it about a for-profit business that can be more effective than a, an NGO or a non-profit? Uh, profit. Uh, the, the ownership. Ownership. Greed? No, no. Ownership, not greed. Ownership. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, so there's no ownership in uh, non-profit? Or... Exactly. So when I was with the non-profits, we gave this one guy, Charles, Uh, in Kenya, we gave him uh, $10,000. He bought two 
uh, two uh, peanut butter machines and hired four, me- four people immediately to make peanut butter. Had himself a nice little five-person business right away. Three, mm-hmm. three years later, we came back, and Charles says, I need another $10,000. Maybe it was five. I think five bought two peanut butter machines. I need another $5,000. What do you need it for, Charles? My peanut butter machines broke. Well, so what would you do with them? Well, I sold them for scrap metal, so I need $5,000 more. He hadn't gotten any business training. He, this would have been such an easy problem to solve. We put in a water installation for an entire community in, the, in a smaller village in the outback of Kenya, and it was $10,000. And three years, four years later, they said we need another $10,000. The water pumps and all that stuff were broken. And, mm-hmm. and I asked the people I'd been working with this NGO, and I said, okay, who owns this thing? <clears throat> and they said, well, the community owns it. And I said, okay, so nobody owns it is what you're saying. Well, what do you mean? Well, point to the people who own this business. And nobody owned that water. And when nobody owns it, when everybody owns it, nobody owns it. And even if you wanted 100 people to own it, they all should have 1% share, so they take pride of ownership in it, and they actually make it work. I had a friend who uh, – rehabs uh, uh, burnout apartments or burnout apartment complexes in Chicago. And the way he does it is he finds, if it's a 50-person unit, he finds 50 families who are willing to put their sweat equity into it. He buys all the materials, buys the building. They all rebuild the thing together, and then they buy their particular unit from him. And within five or eight years, the entire thing is free and clear, and those 50 people own that building. And his results in those environments is those people, those things are very sustainable. They take pride in their ownership and they keep it going. Anybody else who's propping up housing and, and renting people for 200 bucks a month or whatever, that stuff falls apart as soon as they start putting it together. Ownership is the most powerful influence in business and probably in life. <clears throat> and unless people own their stuff, they're not going to respond well. So your business is, <clears throat> excuse me, so your business in Africa is a finance business? No, it's actually import-export. We, we export things from there. We import things there. And the objective there is to use the money we, buy, we get from exporting there to build myriads of small and local businesses, not a giant corporation. If you look at every successful co- uh, economy in the world, they are built on the backs of millions of small and, and local businesses. In the U.S., 98% of all the businesses have 19 or fewer employees and they don't want any more than that and that is the backbone of any strong economy germany hong kong you name it mm-hmm. and that's what we want to do in the congo is build thousands of small local businesses in a very small area all at once so that they can begin to to reproduce off of each other and, and have true capitalism going on which is the velocity of the dollar i'm spending money on business a business a spends it on business b business b spends it on Business C and then business C spends it again on business A and that that same dollar goes around and around and makes everybody rich. <coughs> so, uh, the company. so you mentioned several businesses um, <coughs> of of all the businesses that you've started. Which one is the most successful and, and why is that? Well, it depends on people's uh, view of success. We, did, yeah. we uh, all of them paid me an income. Uh, mm-hmm. I'd say four or five of them were what I would call income producing businesses where that's all that happened was I. I paid a couple of people and I paid myself and nothing came out of it. And then there were three or four that I would call uh, businesses that actually had profit. I'd pay myself, they'd pay others, and we had profit left over. Uh, I had one that was uh, sold to the largest company in our industry. So that's about one out of nine. Uh, 
and that was what most people would call a home run. Uh, mm-hmm. But that was just money. The ones I think we have two right now that I think are going to be more successful than anything we've done. And one is three to five clubs. I think that's going to be our, our major home run. We would never sell this business. Uh, we would never let go of it. We, we see three to five clubs in every small and large city in the world, like chambers of commerce, only much more effective. And it's, mm-hmm. this is a 500 million to a billion dollar business in the making. So that one's going to be very successful. And then on the other side, uh, with my other book, we're building a business around uh, leadership and culture and self-managed teams, giving people their brains back at work. And that's focused more on larger companies and larger corporations. And that one's going to be very successful as well. We'll never sell that. But that that's going to top out at you know a few tens of millions of dollars. The three to five clubs have no limit. Um, so you, you've started eight businesses, as we talked about that already. Uh, can you share your opinion why the desire to make money is not enough to succeed, especially for people that are thinking about starting a business now? Yeah, it's one of the biggest mistakes people make when they go into to business. Uh, they think that the purpose of business is to make money. It never is. And that's not the purpose of capitalism. The purpose of capitalism is to add value to the world around you. In my second book, I, I, dust, I, I address the difference between capitalism and industrialism, which is what we too often mistake for capitalism. Industrialism is how do I siphon all of the uh, resources out of this local world around me to make bucks, to make money. That's industrialism. Capitalism is how do I add value? Steve Jobs said, I never got up in the morning thinking about how to make money. I got up in the morning thinking about what cool technology could I make next? that would make us make this a better world. That's adding value. And the research is in on this very definitively. People who try to make money generally will make very little of it. People Mm -hmm. who have a bigger reason to be in business beyond making money, we call it making meaning, those people are much more likely to make money because they're about something bigger. And there's there's 30 Fortune 500s that prove that out, that, that have said we're about making money or making meaning, not money. And those mm-hmm. 30 grow 10 times faster than the average S&P 500 corporation. So all the research is in. If you want to make a bucket load of money, get what we call a big why. Why are you doing mm-hmm. this? What's your long-term view for yourself, for your business? What's the legacy? Get all that stuff figured out. And, and so really quickly, really quickly, how can I try to figure that out? Like, you know, do you have a couple of pointers if I'm thinking about it and and, you know, I really, I, I, you know, my job sucks. You know, I have friends who have businesses. Oh, how do I find that? Why? Because I think some people don't even know how to start yeah. to think about that. It's something the industrialists stripped right out of us. We're not supposed to ask why. So Stephen Covey says start with the end in mind. And the first thing you should ask yourself before you even consider what business you want, ask yourself, what do you want out of 100 years on this planet? When you look back, what is your legacy? Write your obituary. That's a great way to start. Here's my obituary. Here's what people are saying about me when I die and the impact I made in the world and the fun I had and the richness of the education and just figure all that stuff out and then get a big why for your business. Ask yourself what business will help me get that or if you're already in a business, simply connect your business to that big why and say how can I use brake drum manufacturing to get me to that big why and you'd be amazed. Uh, My big why is to live well by doing good and I could Mm -hmm. be a brake drum manufacturer, a pencil manufacturer or doing what I'm doing and I could figure out how to live well by doing good. So you have to figure out what you want out of this personally, and then you have to figure out how you tie your company to that. And then everybody you bring on board has to be willing to live well by doing good as well. They may do it differently than you do it. 
or whatever your big wife, your company is, they have to buy into that before anything. That's the culture statement, the belief statement that you make first. So know where you want to end up and then back into how do I get there and how do I use this business to get mm-hmm. there. Just be very strategic even from the beginning before you even start a business. Yeah, you, know exactly. You always connect the strategic to the tactical. On the back of our, on the back of the book, Making Money's Killing Your Business, in big bold letters it says, "Use your business to build your ideal lifestyle." Too often mm-hmm. we are used by our business, but but we say start strategically with the end in mind and say, "Here's what I want to build for me, for my family, for the world around me. What cool technology can I create?" Let's go do that. And then every day, if you do this right, the people we have taught to do this around the world, they regularly respond and say, I knew when I got my big why, because every day I started to ask, what am I, should I buy this copy or will that help me get to my big why? Should I hire this person? Should I develop that market? Everything gets filtered through your big why to make sure it actually gets you to where you want to go. And that simple rule, you'd be amazed at how that guides people. That's a true north. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, you wrote that you have made all the mistakes in the book. What were some of the biggest mistakes, or maybe the biggest mistake that would be a good learning experience for our audience? Oh gosh, yeah. Where do I start? Uh, I'm a slow learner, but I think everybody is, and they just don't admit it. I'm willing to admit it. Uh, I think one that comes to mind is is growing too fast. Well, mm-hmm. I'd say the biggest one we all make is that we think that that every new business we start is going to be easy. We put together an Excel spreadsheet, and in 12 months, we're, we're breaking even on the Excel spreadsheet. And then we put that into reality, and it never works out that way. I'm in my ninth business, and every single business I've had, I had to come to some point where I said, I didn't think it would be this tough. You'd think by the ninth business, I just would make peace with the idea that it's going to be a slog up front unless you get lucky, which you rarely do. This is going to be tough up front. That's number one. Number two, growing too fast. Uh, we had to sell one business that went from two million to nine million. We had to sell it. Uh, we went from two million to nine million in two and a half years, and we had to sell it because we were growing so fast we didn't have any money left. One of the things business owners don't realize: the faster you grow, the less money you'll have. So I learned that one the hard way. Then partnerships, the single worst form of business without failure is the the partnership. When they work, they're beautiful. They rarely work. Uh, so anything with two heads belongs in a circus. Don't, be, mm-hmm. don't ever partner with anybody unless you have 51% of the business uh, and make sure that that, that that partnership, you know, don't get married too fast because that's yeah. really tough. So those are three big ones, and I could go on for uh, a quick yeah. Let's talk about failing businesses because uh, you already mentioned uh, you know uh, the majority of businesses fail, and I think everybody that does a little bit of reading on that they'll they'll, they'll know that. So, in your opinion, what is the most important reason businesses fail? Fifty yeah. percent fail in five years, and eighty percent in ten years. That's the common stat. I don't believe that's true at all. I actually believe they go away. So, fifty and eighty percent might go away in five to ten years. But here's what's really happening. Those businesses aren't failing. What's really happening, the number one reason that all businesses fail is the business owner or owners get tired. 
Mm-hmm. That's really tired of what? Tired of the treadmill, tired of repeating the same dumb things over and over again, tired of being hostages to their businesses, tired of not having choice and freedom. What they did was they built a treadmill for themselves and the business owns them. They don't own the business. They look in the mirror and ask for time off and the mirror just laughs. They are hostages to their business and they never figured out how to build a business that makes money when they are not there. And so I can think of one woman in my hometown, I, I use her as an example all the time, she makes, she takes home $12 million a year, that's like a $30 million a year business, and she has told me, if I'm not there six days a week, this thing's going to fall apart. I'm absolutely indispensable. Well, who made that rule? She did. She's a well-paid uh, prisoner, She's basically, in her own business. Employee of herself, and that will get tiresome, and at some point she will stop paying attention to the things to some things that have made her successful, and those things will fall by the wayside, and she will fail. And then the people who, who measure fail, failure will measure the things that put her out, to, out of business, but the only reason they put her out of business is because she stopped paying attention because she was tired. So it's not the, the lack of money or the lack of the right people or any of that stuff that puts us out of business. University of Tennessee did research on this, and they, their research, from what I can read, probably about 1% of all the reasons businesses go out of business have to do with something that is completely out of, out of our control, Fam, famine, pestilence, disease, earthquakes. The other 99%, we have some, if not most, control over it. And, and uh, the biggest lesson people can learn from this, we, we splice this across the uh, meeting room in our, in our business transformation center. Make your own business rules because he who makes the rules wins. And most of us are letting the world around us make those rules. And when we do that, we become well-paid prisoners. We get tired and we, we end up losing. So businesses don't fail. The business owners get tired. That's the number one reason. So what are the uh, reasons most businesses fail to mature? I mean, from, from what we see is that a business either stagnates or fade away, like, kind of like you said, they just go away. So what, what do they need to do? What does a business need to do to avoid uh, either of those two options? Yeah, the, the ironic thing here is this is really easy, Doesn't make, or really simple. Not easy, but simple. It may be hard, but it's still simple. The simple answer to that is, The reason most businesses don't mature is because the business owner doesn't think it's possible. They never, or they just never even think about it. They assume that if you're going to make money, you trade time to make money and you become a prisoner to your business. And the harder you work, the more money you'll make. Warren Buffett does not suffer from that disease. He plays what I call the business owner's game. And the business, the objective of the business owner's game is how do I make more money in less time? And if you are not playing that game, you are a hostage to your business. Until you play that game, you are not a business owner. You just think you are. So that's the number one mindset that has to change is I don't need to work harder. I need to figure out how to make this business work when I'm not here. Do I need more software? Do I need automation? Do I need more people? What do I need so that this thing works when I'm not there? That's the number one thing that the business owners need to figure out. To, to get to maturity. And a mature business, you, the way you know that it's mature, George, is, is very simple. Uh, a, a, an immature business will only give you money. So the, the, the business I just talked about where this woman takes home $12 million a year, that is a stage four. There are seven stages to business that we've identified. And she is stuck in stage four where she makes bucket loads of money. 
Your business should give you two resources, and most businesses only give you one, money. The other resource it should give you is time. A stage five, six, and seven business will begin to give you both time and money. And until you can regularly get away from your business and the thing makes money when you are not there, you are a stage four business owner. No matter how much money you have, you are on the treadmill, you are a hostage. A mature business is one where you can get away. I, I measure mine. I have 73% of my work week of free, uh, free from schedule and unavailable to solve crises. The second part is the part that you, when you know you're free. Every Monday and every Friday, I have nothing scheduled and I'm unavailable to solve crises. The last week of every month, I take that and get away and I'm unavailable. And then one month a year, uh, and you add that up plus the fifth week of every 13, every three months, and you get 73% of your year that you are unscheduled and unavailable to solve crises. That doesn't mean I don't work. I certainly do mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't need 43 weeks of vacation. But mm-hmm. uh, I, uh, now I'm free to lead. I get to ask questions and, and ask myself, where should we go next? And, and ask people, is this the most profitable way to do that? That's what leaders do. They ask questions. Most of us are stuck in management. An immature business, you will be managing managing it and managing the people. A mature business, it will manage itself and you will lead the people. So let's talk about systems because that's really what, what you need to, to get to yep. that next level. So what advice do you have for entrepreneurs who are unable to build systems? I mean, we're talking about the majority of entrepreneurs. They're just not able or fail to build systems in their businesses. Yep. Why do they fail? Well, number one, they're, they're, the number one issue in all business is what we call the tyranny of the urgent. I am so busy making money this month that I don't have time to build a system for making money next month. So guess what I do next month? I do the same thing over and over, and I'm a hostage. That's the biggest reason they don't do it. The second reason is they think they need to build something like McDonald's has. I love Michael Gerber's first half of his book where he says, work on your business instead of in it. But he, uh, and I can't, it's hard for me to even throw stones because he wrote this in the 80s at the end of the industrial age, but he asked people to create a McDonald's system. And he tells people to work for, to, to hold somebody's job for six weeks or six months and write an 80-page training manual and then hire the people. I've yet to find a single person who did what he said without hiring his consultants to do it. We, <clears throat> we think you need to simplify the whole systems mindset. We teach people to do what we call freedom mapping, which uses the process mapping mindset or the process mapping methodology in very simple form to map the four or five biggest processes you have. Every process you have can be mapped in five to 15 steps on one side of one piece of paper in 30 to 45 minutes. And you can map this thing whole all out, get it out of your head, and then you can begin to train other people to use those systems. But until you get that stuff out of your head onto a piece of paper, uh, you're not getting anywhere. So we have, after nine years in business, in this business, we have, I think, maybe 11 or 12 freedom maps. And I'm guessing three or four of them we don't even use. Uh, the rest, of it, you just need to keep this stuff simple. So people don't, they either don't do it because it's overwhelming uh, and, and they need to simplify it, or they don't do it because they're too busy making money today and they'll never get off the treadmill. In your book, Making Money is Killing Your Business, you cover the topic of entrepreneurs jumping on a treadmill and our inability to get, to get off of it. What can entrepreneurs to, to do you know, to avoid this? Because this obviously is a mistake. Great question. 
we this is the biggest disease that entrepreneurs suffer from, and it's what we opened with. It's why I needed to get out of the way in my businesses. Most of us think we are indispensable. Secondly, most of us live in fear. Those two things will keep us from ever getting off that treadmill. And the, the fear thing, you have to, to, to go at it in little bits and pieces, eat the elephant one bite at a time, and the more, the more you take on little bits of risk, the less it will seem risky, and so you can build that muscle. The tougher one is nobody's as good as I am, nobody's as committed, nobody's as experienced, nobody's as invested, nobody's, it's all those nobodies. And that's one that is a mindset that has to be broken. And I've come up with a great analogy that no entrepreneur has yet been able to knock down yet. Leonardo da Vinci uh, painted the, the Mona Lisa. There is a copy of the Mona Lisa in Spain that is so good that for, for hundreds of years they thought Leonardo da Vinci painted it. They were able to use x-rays and MRIs and all kinds of other stuff recently to conclusively prove that Leonardo da Vinci did not paint that Mona Lisa, that there was actually some apprentice sitting beside Leonardo da Vinci painting that painting at the very same time he was watching da Vinci and he was painting what da Vinci painted. And it is so good right down to the paint strokes that nobody could tell the difference. And the point I'm making there is there isn't an entrepreneur in the world that does anything more difficult than painting the Mona Lisa or more unique or more special or any of that other nonsense. If Leonardo da Vinci could find somebody to paint the Mona Lisa, you can find somebody who can do what you do. And until you believe that, you will not get off the treadmill. So our, our great analogy for this is Mini-Me from the uh, Austin Powers movie. <laughs> Dr. Evil had Mini-Me. Well, Mini-Me is useless. He could hardly talk. He had to be carried around. He was adorable, but, but he was really just a, a weight. And most of us just go looking for Mini-Me when we hire people. We just assume nobody's as good as I am. What if you looked for Maxi-Me? What if you believed that were people out there that were better than you? I have people in my business who are so much better than me in, in so many things that frees me up to be a, a real business owner and frees me up to actually lead. That's the key thing right there. You have got to get over yourself. And you've got to believe, you have to have to come to the end of yourself and believe that other people actually want to contribute to a great business and will take the responsibility when you give it to them and are better than you are. Well, Chuck, I wanted to thank you for coming on Success Harbor today. How can people find out more about your books, businesses, or connect with you? Well, they can find both my books, Making Money is Killing Your Business, and the other one is Why Employees Are Always a Bad Idea. You can find both of those on Amazon or in every airport bookstore just about in the nation. And uh, if you want to connect with us, uh, you can connect with me on uh, chuckblakemanspeaker.com, chuckblakemanspeaker.com. Well, sounds good, Chuck, and uh, thank you again, and thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks, George. Bye.